Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. read just a few of those verses this morning. Back up to the 17th verse and read through verse 33 so we can get the full content. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the, and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom we put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we strictly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay him, to slay them. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Let us pray. Our Father, we know that you are in our midst this evening because we have witnessed your presence in the testimonies and the prayers and the music. We have felt you near to us for our hearts have been stirred. We lift up to you those for whom we would desire to pray, those gravely ill. Our Father, although we and our human desires ask for their physical recovery. We yet place their lives in your hands, and particularly our Father, pray for the souls of those who are not saved. We thank you for the salvation that you brought to people in the days gone by, and for the testimony that we have received of one of this community in just recent hours who has received you as Lord and Savior. Now, Father, take this service tonight and use it to 
build us up and fill us full of the power of your spirit that we can go forth as your church where we pray in Christ's name. Amen. People were being saved in the early church. People were being healed. And the church got angry. That is the, and I'm using the church a little bit in error because it was the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin to be more specific in the way of its pronunciation, the high court of the Jewish fellowship, not the church as we know it, but Jewish believers were very angry. The thing that they were angry about was that they were seeing their authority eroding and others receiving what would appear to be the glory. People ceasing to follow the teachings of the tabernacle and the temple and began to follow a group of men that were originally fishermen, uneducated, apparently of no value as far as leading men were concerned, but the gospel that they were preaching was touching hearts, and people were changing from their worship of God only to now their worship of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And believing that this person that they hanged on a tree some days before was in fact the Son of God. And so the people were angry. This always happens when people are not right with God. They get angry. Their anger really is with God, but they take it out on people. You do it. I do it. We all find somebody to lash out at, and the reason is we're not satisfied with ourselves and we're blaming God for getting in our way. And so basically, I suppose we could say our anger is at God and our families our friends, our neighbors, the people in our church have to take the blunt of it. And that's unfortunate. That we really put people on the spot and lash out at them when our argument is with God. There really is no argument to it because God is right and we are wrong. We just don't want to admit that. I've seen it and you have as well. And Whenever a person is caught he tries to find somebody to blame for his way, for his error. And it only comes down to saying, why did God do it? Why did God take my loved one? Why didn't God stop me from driving 90 miles an hour down the road and having that wreck? And all the other questions that we can throw out at God when we know it wasn't God who put his foot to the pedal. It was us, you or me, or that friend of ours who speeds down the highway and dies in a crash. Why didn't God stop the crash? Listen, God allows man to have control of his own destiny. And if man wants to go to hell, he'll go to hell. And God's not going to get in his way. God will do everything that he can to prevent it from happening. But if man wants to climb over the cross of Jesus Christ and get into hell, he can do it. And God won't prevent him from doing it. 
Let us not throw our blame upon God for our problems, but let us look them square in the face and repent of our sins and thank God for being merciful to us to allow us to repent. But this isn't what the Hebrew people wanted to do. They were very angry. The angel, we find, let these guys, Peter and John and others, out of prison and told them to go stand in the temple and preach. And that's what they were doing. Well, the next morning, the Sanhedrin, the high priest and all the others, sent somebody down to the jail to get these guys out so they could have a talk with them. And when they got down there, they found out that the prison was still locked, the guards were still standing outside, but the prisoners were gone. And finally somebody came to them and said, we found them, they're down in the temple, standing in the temple preaching. And so they go down to the temple, and there, in fact, they were, and they uh, talked to them because they were afraid to put them in change because the people would have not accepted this, or people were being converted, but they, they took them quietly back to the court, and there began to inquire of them a little bit and be very belligerent with them and said, didn't we warn you not to preach like this anymore? Now look at verse 24. And the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things. They doubted whereupon this would grow. In other words, they now began to realize that there was no stopping the spread of the gospel. They were doubting that they could possibly stop its growth. They were beginning to wonder, how widespread is this gospel going to reach? Well, we are witnesses to the widespreading of the gospel. And it hasn't stopped yet. The more the church is persecuted, the more the gospel spreads. That has happened all down through the centuries. So they're saying, there's no use denying the fact that this gospel is spreading. Let's see if there's some way that we can put a stop to it, or at least slow it down. They tried it with John the Baptist. They put John the Baptist in prison. They did not want him preaching repentance. And finally, they cut off his head. And they thought that would stop the spread of the gospel that he was preaching. And right behind John the Baptist comes a person called Jesus who claimed to be the Christ. And they said, we're not going to have this man preaching this kind of thing either. We'll put him on trial. And they did before uh, the Sanhedrin and before Pilate's court. And on it went. They scourged him and mocked him. And finally they put him to death as well. And now the whole thing is over, they thought. And all of a sudden... They not only have one man to deal with, but now they have 12. And now there's 120. The prophets that came out of that little group of Jesus' disciples and apostles began to spread and multiply. And then there were 3,000, and then there was 5,000 more. And on the numbers began to grow, and there seemingly was no stopping of it. And here they were facing these little fishermen, ignorant men, brought them in before the court, threatened them with imprisonment and even their life if they didn't stop, and they refused to stop. The jail couldn't even hold them, and they went back to the temple that they might preach some more. Why could they not uh, stop this little group. The mighty power of the Sanhedrin could not stop the spread of the gospel by fishermen who were unlearned. Why? Because it was of God. Anything that comes from God cannot be stopped. If it is of man, it can be stopped. 
If we preach nothing but what man preaches and what man teaches, it'll die in its tracks. But if we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will not cease. God will take whatever we do and multiply it and use it, and people will be saved because it is the gospel of God. Paul had an experience. He thought he would stop this preaching too. And you remember on his way to Damascus, the Lord stopped him there on the road and said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? But he said something else. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Have you ever kicked against the pricks? Let me tell you, I have. My dad put out some pricks for me to kick against, and every time I kicked, I, I felt the little whiff on the back of my bare legs that reminded me that I was kicking against a power that was mightier than I, and he suddenly straightened me out. I saw things differently after he got done with me. Let me tell you, when we are belligerent with God and kick against the pricks that he puts out there for us, we're going to come to a day when we're going to answer to him and we're going to finally get the point. We're going to understand that he is in control of this world and not man. It's not going to be our will but his will that is done in this world. And if we want to kick, we can go right on and kick, but we're only going to punish ourselves. That's what the lost of this world is doing. Those people who keep saying no, no, no. And I've talked to a number of people up and down uh, the creeks here of Turtle Creek and surrounding territory and, and asked them personally about their accepting Jesus Christ. And they all, every person that I have talked to, man and woman, all admit that they need to do this very thing. A lady called me on the phone the other evening and we talked for, for some time. She admitted to me that she was not a Christian. She was not saved. She knew she was not saved, but she wasn't interested in becoming so. She was kicking against the pricks. Not, uh, she thought she was dealing with me. She wasn't dealing with me. She called me to start with. I didn't call her. And our conversation led to the fact that I realized that what she was doing was being belligerent with God. And when we are belligerent with God, we're going to find ourselves ending up in the, on the short end. We're going to be wounded and, and hurt and mangled because of our own bullheadedness, belligerence, when God is the one to be listened to. The Sanhedrin should have known this, but they would not listen. Surely they could overcome a little group of men called fishermen who had a simple gospel to preach. They could stop them, but no, they could not stop them. What the Sanhedrin were doing was putting themselves on a collision course with God. Now you've seen those collision courses in the movies with automobiles when they show you the automobile coming down the road and they show you the train on the track and you already know that they are telling you that the train and the automobile are going to meet and there's going to be a settlement at that point and it's going to be the automobile that will end up in the bad state. The train is too big. Man is on a collision course with God. And when the collision takes place, it's not going to be God that's wounded. It's going to be man. I don't know how we get that message across to people who don't realize it. You're not facing the preacher. No one is facing the church. But there's a day coming when every man will come face to face with God. And the collision will take place. And man will lose. 
Well, look at verse 27, 28. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest begins to talk to them, and he said, Did we not straightly command you that you should not preach in this name? And behold, what have you done? You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. I wish that that could be said about Olive Branch Baptist Church. Amen. We have filled this community with, the do- with, with that doctrine. But notice what else he says. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, now that is rather strange that they would say, hey, you're trying to blame us with his death. When just a few days before, they had stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I wash my hands of anything to do with him. And they stood and shouted to Pilate, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They had already said, we will accept the responsibility for his death. And now they're saying, we want to get out of it. Don't you blame us for his death. But it's too late. They had already assumed responsibility. His blood be upon us and our children, they said. And now it is upon them and and their children, and they don't want to accept the responsibility. How many people do we have for whom we are responsible for their eternity. I don't know. I think every man has a responsibility, every woman has a responsibility for the eternity of their children. I think we have a responsibility as a church for the eternity of the people who live in our community. I think we have a responsibility for the eternity of our friends. Are their blood going to be upon us because we failed to preach the gospel that these apostles began preaching? They're saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And Peter says in the 29th verse, we ought to obey God rather than men. I want to say something here that I think, at least in my mind, is very important. You can take it for whatever it's worth. But I think this is one of the most abused things that we have. Many people will say, I obey God. What I want to say to you is be sure it's God you're obeying before you decide what you're going to do. You may very well be obeying Satan himself who has disguised himself as the image of God. Be sure that you are obeying God and not your own prejudices. Be sure you are obeying God and not a gospel that you wrote. I think most of us have a tendency to read the scripture in a way that will justify our already preconceived prejudice about how things ought to be run. Instead of letting the gospel speak for itself, we want to make the gospel speak the way we want it to be spoken. And it's not there. 
I confess to you that I used to think that everything was black and white. I thought there were no grays. But I've learned over the years that we live in the area of the gray when things are not quite so clear-cut as I used to think. I confess to you that I have changed my mind about what the gospel says in many instances. And why do I believe that has happened? Because I recognize that when I was a young preacher, I thought I knew it all. And everybody had to be saved the way I thought they had to, ought to be saved. And everybody ought to belong to church and adhere to the very principles that I thought they ought to adhere to. And I wasn't too willing to accept this group over here because they did things differently. But I've learned along the way, and the Lord had to teach me the hard way, that he's got people all over this world by every faith and every denomination and they're not restricted to the little group that I happen to be a part of. I used to be able to preach what I thought was the solid truth and saying that you cannot do this and be a Christian, you can't do that and be a Christian. But I've learned long ago all of those things that I said a person can't do, I've been guilty of at least flirting with, if not doing. So where does that leave me? And I had to rethink my position. How am I related to the Lord? And am I saved or not saved based upon what I have done or not done? And I had to learn the hard way that salvation is something that God provides. It's not something that I do. And so as we live in the gray area and people don't see things exactly like we see them, we've got to recognize that that is the Lord's responsibility if he wants them to see things differently. Let's be sure when we read the gospel, we're reading God's word and not man's word. We're reading what the Lord wants to say and not what man wants the Lord to say. There's been so many atrocious things done in the name of God that it's unbelievable. When I was in college, I did a rather in-depth study of the Crusades. All done in the name of God. They raped and pillaged and burned and killed unbelievably. But it was in the name of Christ. And the cross went before them. Listen, God was not before that or behind that cross this was a group of men, the way I see it now, a group of men who were doing many things not in the name of God, but in their own name, but putting God out there to take the blame. And I think that's what's happening. We're blaming God for many things that we need to shoulder ourselves because we're at fault, not God, in the way things are being done. Look at the witch hunts that took place in New England during the early history of our country. We would shrink in horror if this were done today. But it was the church who went out finding witches in their midst and burning them at the stake and doing all of those things. It was the church who ran Roger Williams out of Rhode Island, was it not? He became, maybe it was a good thing because he became the, uh, a person who supported the Baptist movement in the United States and we actually owe him a great debt. And maybe we owe those people who were persecuting him a great debt for, for running him out because we might not have been the great denomination that we are today were it not for this man. Look at the abuse that has taken 
uh, place in the lives of black people when in the name of God and by quoting the scripture uh, in error that people have said the black man ought to serve the white. How far afield do we have to go and give God the blame? We have abused him and his word down through the centuries. Paul, and, or Peter rather, said that we ought to obey God rather than men, and that's exactly true. But we need to be sure, and that's what I'm saying, that we know what God is saying, and that we allow him to speak freely and fully to our conscience, and that we're in tune with him, not he with us. And this is the error. We have tried to make God fit into the mold that we have prepared for him. Somebody has come up with the phrase, your God is too small. Well, I'm, I'm quite sure that's right. It means that we conceive of God as fitting into a certain pattern that we have already preconceived that he ought to fit into. And God is like I make him to be. And God will break out of that mold. He will not allow me to hold him down to my preconceived ideas nor yours, nor this church. God is mighty and on the throne. And before we start speaking in his name, let's be sure that we know what he's saying. And it's not us that's doing the speaking. Well, these guys didn't take too kindly to what Peter had to say. He said, you slew him and you hanged him on a tree. You are guilty. Yes, man is guilty. But you know man can rationalize himself out of guilt. Every test I failed in school, I had a reason as to why I did it. And it never was my fault for not studying. The teacher shouldn't have given that test that day. My dad made me work all day before and I didn't have time to study. Somebody distracted me. The bus was late. I, I could come up with anything you wanted why I failed. But you know, there's one guy that never got the blame. And that was a guy taking the test. He never got the blame. Because somebody else was always guilty. And this is exactly what man is doing. I am not guilty because. One of the things he's saying, oh, my case is different. I can excuse myself because you see, my case is different than anybody else's. Or they'll say, well, I may be wrong, but I'm not the only one. You know, I have never figured out what comfort there was in getting a whipping just because somebody else was going to get one at the same time. It never made me feel a bit better when my brother and I both got a whipping at the same time. I still got my whipping. And it hurt my legs just as bad whether he got it or whether he didn't get it. I didn't get any comfort out of that. Why is it that man comes up and says, well, I may be a sinner, but listen, I'm not the only one that's a sinner. And like many people have told me over the years, and I hear it in Turtle Creek just as well, I may be a sinner, but I'm no worse than those people up there in your church. And I say, I'm sure that's right. I don't doubt that one bit. Should I have said that? <laughs> I don't know. There's one difference. We're all sinners. Some of us are saved and some of us are lost. And there comes the difference. I happen to be a sinner saved by grace. If you're a sinner saved by grace, then you're on one side. If you're a sinner and not saved by grace, you're on the other side. Those people who are not saved by grace are the ones who are always saying, I'm just as good as those other guys. 
And then they say, well, I may go to hell, but I'm going to have plenty of company. Now, first of all, anybody who says that hasn't read the Scripture. The Scripture never indicates anywhere that anybody is going to have fellowship with anybody in hell. Fellowship is in heaven. A company is in heaven. Association is in heaven. You can read all the way through the Scripture, and I've told you that I believe in what's called the theory, and it's only a theory, but I think it's true, the theory of opposites. Whatever is in heaven, the opposite is hell. If we're going to have fellowship in heaven, we're not going to have fellowship in hell. The Scripture talks about outer darkness. It talks about separation when it refers to, to hell. Hell will be spent in eternity by oneself. Alone. No contact. No fellowship. No communion. Absolutely isolated in punishment is a description of hell because that's the opposite of the description of heaven. So don't let anybody fool you in thinking that you can have lots of company in hell. But even if that were true, what comfort would there be? Everybody's going to be suffering. What comfort would there be? Then others say, well, I'm going to heaven because I believe in God. Now, there are lots of people who are in hell that believe in God. As a matter of fact, everybody in hell believes in God. There's not a single non-believer in hell. Not a single one. Everyone believes in God. The question is, what did one do with Jesus Christ? Others say, I am going to heaven because I go to church. That's not the question. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Others say, I am going to heaven because my family is a Christian family. That's not the question. The question is, what did one do with Jesus Christ? Now, to conclude, verse 33, from which I got the title. When they heard all of this, the scripture says they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay them. There are two possible reactions when one hears the gospel. One is going to do one of two things. He's going to repent or he's going to react. Now listen to it. One is going to repent or you're going to react. Of course, repentance is a reaction, naturally. But one is going to repent or he's going to react negatively. I have never seen a person capable of being neutral on the question. I don't think it's possible. One will do one of the, one of the two things. What did these people do? They reacted. They thought, I'll kill those guys. And they tried to kill them. They got together and said, we're going to have to figure out a way to get these guys out of the picture. We will have an assassination. We'll kill this man, Peter. We'll kill John. We'll kill Andrew. We'll stop this gospel preaching. They killed Peter. They hanged him upside down on a cross. They killed every one of the apostles except John who died an old man on the Isle of Patmos. Every one of them died an unnatural death as far as we know. But did that stop the preaching? No, it went on. And on it goes. We can destroy this church or the next church or the church down the road 
We can kill preachers. We can kill missionaries as they have done many, many times. There are lots of martyrs to the gospel, but it won't stop the spread of the truth. Amen. And people are going to react or they're going to repent. One of the two. If you have not repented and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to do so tonight. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.